Oh. Yeah, she did it. <laughs> I did it. All right. It is our Christmas episode. We're all in a Christmas Eve festive mood. We don't, we don't listen sure. to rock. Yeah. Christians don't rock around. around the Christmas tree. <laughs> it's a good song. Do we waltz you know? around? Gets you, gets you into a, a jolly right. spirit. Um, yeah, welcome everybody to our Christmas episode. Today we're um, almost full house. We are joined by our uh, our best friend Austin. Three he has time, joined three us Three-time guest. Mm. Yeah. He's very popular, like I said. Anytime Austin's on, there's like way more listeners. Two more. <laughs> like so two, more. two or three more listeners. <laughs> my wife might yeah, listen. I was going to say my wife and my mom. <laughs> From Canada. Yeah, I was going to say Canada. <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of Canadian listeners, so shout out to you guys. Not anymore. Not if we made fun of them that one time. <laughs> we we may have made fun of you guys. We apologize. <laughs> we ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Yosha takes all of it back. Yeah, I do. Um, I got a topic, uh, a funny topic to kind of bring up today since we are talking about Christmas. Now, this is not a biblical topic by any means, but I was just browsing through today and I ran into some articles about different ways, different cultures have traditions on Christmas. Now, obviously we're all, you know, used to some of the American traditions, some of the traditions we, we see here and we do here all the time. And oftentimes we don't have explanations for them. We just know it's like part of Christmas, right? So we know that as humans, we oftentimes put stuff into holidays. That's just what we do. Um, especially those who obviously don't know Christ, they'll put their own you know, things into Christmas. And I was kind of searching around just to see what do other cultures do? And some of the countries, you guys, you guys are going to be in for a good one here. Um, so in Japan for Christmas, let me start off. Does anybody know what they do in Japan? Sushi. Take a guess. Uh, Mario? No. That'd be a good one, honestly. <laughs> what do you think I'm they gonna eat? I'm going to do that it's, it's a food. <laughs> what is What is the... Like for Thanksgiving, we have oh, turkeys. They have KFC. KFC. Yes, no, I, yeah. I remember reading that. So in Japan for Christmas, KFC is is um, what is going to be on everybody's table. Matter of fact, it is so bad that you have to schedule Good. ahead. No, I think that's like weird <laughs> um, to all our Japanese listeners. Um, that's they ha- they actually have to schedule ahead, and during that time, they'll have like the Colonel Sanders mm-hmm. outfit. So they'll have guys oh, that's like, that like stand outside. That's like Father Christmas, Colonel Sanders over there. Yeah, so <laughs> they have to they have to book ahead. They have to get their their KFC chicken, and I think that's just that's so something they do. It is it is it boggles my mind. Instead um, of presents, he brings chicken chicken legs. <laughs> yeah, and you know most of these, I kind of get like what what the portrayment or what they're trying to portray or what they're trying to like do. Except like, the Japanese the one. Live. Except the Japanese <laughs> one. I don't I don't understand it. Um, so in Norway, um, in Norway, what they do is they take the brooms in the house and they hide them. So they'll, they'll sometimes just take them out of the house. Hmm. Anybody can guess why? So you rest? No. (laughs) So Norwegians believe that Christmas Eve coincides with the arrival of evil spirits and witches. So in their logic, Mm. the householders will hide all their brooms before they go to sleep. That's pretty dark for Christmas. So the witches witches don't get to them or what? Yeah. So like if the witch is just hanging out of your house, eating your cookies, she won't take your broom flying Mm. around. She won't fly away. How does she get there? She'll have no transportation. (laughs) She's got to get there somehow first. Uber. Well, she'll (laughs) borrow the broom of the guy that didn't put her away. From last year? (laughs) 
Yeah. So um, Austria, that's where it gets like a little dark. I was like reading this. Well, you guys have probably heard of this because they actually made movies about this hmm. in Austria. So in Austria, uh, they have St. Nicholas, but they also have his counterpart. Do you guys know who that is? The Bellersnickel? Yeah. The Dwight Krampus. <laughs> so Krampus? Krampus, yes. Really? Krampus. That's Austria? He is the counterpart of St. Nick. Isn't he the, so, one, is he the one that eats the kids or something? Yes. And this is where it gets sketchy because what happens is men get dressed up in like evil costumes, demon-like costumes, and they'll actually walk around the streets at night. And um, they'll, have, they'll have chains in a basket. Dude, we had clowns dressed like that, and there was like mass hysteria. They do that as a celebration of a holiday. Right. So um, their Halloween sounds a lot like, sorry, their Christmas sounds a lot like our Halloween here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it it's it's very interesting. So I don't know. I was going to kind of... I, I think that was an ad. It's always Alex's phone. Um, I was going to ask you guys, do you, do you guys have uh, like weird traditions that just your family does? Put up Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? No, nothing cliche. Like what? Go There's to gotta be something hours. your family. Austin, <laughs> Austin what do you, like what does your family do for Christmas tradition? We do two fairly unique things with a, with a food item. One, we do a Swedish tea ring on Christmas morning. What is that? Uh, it's almost like a cinnamon roll. So it has raisins in it and it has icing on top, but it's woven together in a, a giant ring. So rather than being rolls, it's wow. kind of woven together. So it's really great. It, it tastes amazing. And then on Christmas Eve, we do a bread pudding called Mad Ant Pudding. Uh, one of my great aunts has this bread pudding recipe that has cranberries in it and like a butter sauce that goes over it. And it's really good. But she calls herself the Mad Ant. And so the recipe has kind of traveled through our family as Mad Ant Pudding. And mm -hmm. we watch the Muppet That's Christmas cool. Carol and have Mad Ant Pudding. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. I don't think me and Alina do anything as a family. Usually it's just Alina's family coming down and we just hang out. But there's got to be a thing that you guys do every year. You don't dress up as anything, Serge? No, I mean, recently... We Who's Krampus? <laughs> Who dresses yeah, up yeah. as Krampus? Recently, we've been doing, um, like, the PJ thing. Everyone just yeah. has the matching PJs, and then Christmas morning, we open up presents together so and basic. take pictures. <laughs> uh, we did it, like, Boring. twice, two or three times. I don't think... It doesn't sound like we're doing it this year. Um, other than that, I don't... I, I just can't think of anything. We have this thing where... Um, this is like, this is not anything just particular. Like, this is not even a, a pass down from a relative or anything. But we do do, um, we'll do Secret Santa, just the whole big family. But, like, there's always this thing where we do where nobody really knows who's, like, other than my wife, she doesn't, nobody knows who is getting what person. So, um, I tell my wife who I got just because she orders the gifts. But, like, usually nobody will say anything. And so there's this, like, weird thing that we do, like, we'll all sit in a circle and then it's when it's your turn to present your gift, you like walk around and you like, you know, excite people like, Oh, it's you. And then it's like, ah, never mind, It's not you. <laughs> and then you just kind of walk around. I don't know why, but like we started doing that and it ends up just happening like that every single year. And then, um, we also have Napoleon cake. I don't know if mm. you guys know what that is. Yeah. Napoleon Dynamite or? <laughs> no, it's like a, a Russian thing. Oh, okay. It's like a Russian cake. I don't even know if it's Russian. Well, it's good by any means. Uh, um, I mean, Napoleon's French, but yeah. I don't think it's named after him. 
Olivier is not even Russian. It's For like, real? It's a French dish. For real? Yes. Wow. Olivier is a French dish. Dude, it's it was probably a, a Russian grandma back in Soviet Russians times. was like, scam. this cake's really short. Napoleon. <laughs> and then from there, it was like, <laughs> probably called that. Is Olivier a salad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a yeah, meat uh, salad. Meat salad. Meat salad with a bunch of mayo. Potatoes. Uh, so it's peas. worse. It's worse for you than just eating like <laughs> it's, meat it's and mayo. The closest mayo. thing I can think of is the American potato salad. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, with yeah. with like a little bit of uh, like sausage, jelly, and just a few other things. Well, American potato salad is just potatoes and like mayo, from what I know. This has like uh, peas, uh, ham, carrots, onions sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's really good though. Sometimes. It's it's mm -hmm. way better yeah. than it sounds. Yeah. You had some. Did I really? International dinner, unless unless it was already out. I think it was out by the time. Yeah, I we brought that. Oh. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's like Cracker Barrel is the only place in the country where mac and cheese is considered a vegetable. Oh, mac and cheese. That's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then I have a question for you guys. Are you guys done with your wacky Christmas? You're supposed things? to share. Your I don't wacky. have anything at all. You just got married, bro. We don't celebrate Christmas. We do. <laughs> just give him some time. Hardcore Christmas. Oh. Yeah, we need to first like establish you got ourselves. Stormtrooper. Do you watch? Oh, every... that's true. I got a stormtrooper. <laughs> do you watch every Christmas episode of The Office? I do actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that would be my tradition. Then <laughs> I, when I was younger, like I don't know, like thirteen. I bought myself a holiday like DVD of that 70s show and it has all the holiday episodes and I would watch oh. that pretty much hmm. every time like right after Thanksgiving I'd run through the whole disc and it has just all the holiday episodes of that 70s show. I don't know. It was just something I did but I don't think that's like a tradition. It's just it is now. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I was going to ask you guys. I don't have kids yet. Mm. Austin, you guys have a baby. You guys have some like actual toddlers already. What is your take on Santa Claus? Are y'all like, no, my kid's going to know from the day they're born. Santa Claus is a hoax. Are you guys like, eh, whatever. It doesn't really matter. What do you guys think? I, I'm not trying to be like too, don't get all like, like theological and stuff about this. Obviously, like we know it's, it's, it's something. That's I don't think we care, me. but like our kid's too young to, to, he doesn't know who Santa Claus is yet. Even though we did take a picture, you know, we had it at church and we took a picture of Santa Claus. But we, we experimented when our first was really young. One year, we kind of did pretend um, that there was Santa Claus. Like, we uh, labeled the presents, some of them from Santa. We got her, like, all excited, put cookies out, milk that I ate. <laughs> and then, like, the next... Santa ate. Yeah, the, uh, left some crumbs, and then the next morning, she was all excited. She's like, ah, you know? And then I was like, I had this moment, I was like, what we're doing is this like we're like deceiving our old kid, you know, into like believing all this stuff. I know it's all like, you know, fun just it's fun and games. But I was like, hey, <laughs> I don't know, this just doesn't feel right. So after that, we yeah. kind of stopped and we just said, hey, it's just a fun thing we do, and this is the true meaning of Christmas. So we kind of <laughs> she's like three years old. Back. Yeah, sit down. We need to have a serious <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Daddy, the cookies. <laughs> I was Santa. <laughs> he is not real. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We don't. I don't. Know. We doesn't we matter. We don't, we don't think about yeah. it. Yeah, we don't really even talk about it. We. I know. I know. My like my family did it up north for, for presents. Mm -hmm. We don't mention Santa at all. I mean, yeah, we'll take him to the mall to take the picture, and that's cute. They love doing that. Um, terrified, but they like doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could. I could imagine Maddie. <laughs> Uh, she's not a stranger person. She strangers dangers, you know, is what she lives by. So she's terrified. David's all like, 
Just take me, anybody. <laughs> just take me. Um, but yeah, when it comes to presents and actual Christmas, uh, no, we don't do Santa. We do mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and everybody else, and mm-hmm. you know, try to center it more around Jesus, but not definitely not Santa. Austin. Oh yeah, I was going to say. Do, what do you guys have? So you guys my, had that talk? We have not had that talk yet. My family, growing up, always did one gift from Santa uh, for each one of the kids. And uh, it was in my mom's handwriting, so it's fairly. <laughs> we're gonna figure that out pretty quickly. But we, were, my parents, were always really good at differentiating imagination and creating that fun and what was real. And so we always had a sense of when we read the Christmas story from Luke chapter two, this is real. And then there was like like a kid playing in a room with their toys. It felt like that with Christmas. They know it's not real, but it's just... You feel the fun of the Grinch and Rudolph, and you know they're not real, but it's part of the imagination and the fun of of Christmas. And so, of course, Christmas is about Christ's birth. It's not about Santa Claus, but with the traditional uh, understanding of the whole holiday, I probably would say that what we'll do is focus so much on Christ at Christmas, that when we include Santa, it won't be the focus, but it'll just be a part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but see, that's just because I remember growing up. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever remember. You probably do, like Dead Maros in Russian. Yeah, Grandpa, yeah. Grandpa Frost probably is the way you translate huh? it. But. Father Frost. Father Frost. <laughs> Maybe Whatever. I don't know. Um, but he's like the Russian figure of Santa Claus, yeah. although he's actually he's more blue. He's right? blue. Is he? <laughs> yeah. He's more and his like, wife isn't? has to be like super skinny and young, and she's an icicle and young. Oh. Yeah, and young. young. Which is weird. Um, but he's like the more representation of winter, Father yeah. Winter, not just necessarily Christmas. Cold-hearted Russian. Um, Communism. But growing <laughs> up, very. But growing up, like you he said. He walks around with an AK-47. Presents on me, Come sit on my lap. Uh, <laughs> or I'll make you. <laughs> all right, you derail the conversation. <laughs> Uh, Galatians chapter four. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hold on. We didn't get into our time machine yet. All right. Um, th- it's interesting though. Like we are, we are. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like variability when it comes to Christmas, um, and it, that is one of the reasons why I think like every time Christmas rolls around, I always go to church and I think like, what are they going to preach about? Like. This is the same story, and there's not even that much written about it. If we're going to be honest, we don't have that many details specifically about like the actual story of Mary and Joseph and and going to Bethlehem. Well, Christ, yeah, Christ it's, is all in Scripture. It, yeah, Christ is but everywhere. The birth, yeah. Like the the kind of the the hinting at his coming is everywhere, of course. But the actual story is so minimal. Every time I go to church around Christmas time, I'm always just wondering what are they going to talk about because it's the same thing. And yet, like, there is a very definitive reason as to why Christmas is an important holiday for believers, Mm -hmm. you know, aside from all the fun and games and aside from, like Austin, you were saying, like, aside from, like, the fun imaginations and just the presents and the tree and all that stuff is just kind of extra, of course, we, we know that, but there is more to it than just that. There's a reason why this is such a big deal for us as believers in particular, and, and last year, we I think we had a great Christmas episode talking about John 1. Um, if you guys, I mean, it's the Christmas season. If you guys want, go back and listen to that one. The word became flesh. Exactly. Okay. That was a, it was one of those weird passages that I was kind of against us doing leading into it because I was like, man, this is very not Christmas. But by the end, I was like, man, this is Christmas. Like this might as well be read at church on Christmas morning because this is it. 
And I think the same thing is going to happen with our passage today because it is very similar in that way that it's kind of referencing the Christmas story, but on the grand scheme of things, it's referencing like all of mankind and what Christ came to do. Yeah, we're going to take, um, we're going to take our Bibles today and uh, we're mainly going to talk about chapter four um, for those listening, but we can't begin reading chapter four, verse one without going just a few verses back. Um, because even if we look at how chapter four, verse one starts, it's now I say. What book so, are you reading from? Uh, I'll get there. It starts with it's now I say. So Apostle Paul, this is Galatians chapter four. Um, Apostle Paul's here um, is starting, chapter four started with, with the first verse of now I say. And if you see that, that means you have to go back and see what what is he talking about. And so um, I guess we'll begin with chapter three, uh, verse 26, but we won't make our uh, main focus there. We're just going to read it to give you guys a better contextual picture. Um, I know it's Christmas and some people will be like, Christmas episode, Apostle Paul, Galatians. Um, but like Mark has stated earlier, um, I think Paul talks about who Christ was and how important he was. And so him coming to this earth, him being born, um, and what situation and uh, into what Christ was born, I think we're going to talk about those things. And those things play a huge role um, about what Christmas should really mean. And in verse 26, Galatians chapter 3, um, I'll read 26, 27, 28, and 29. Pretty much finish chapter 3 real quick to give you guys a better contextual picture here. So um, verse 26, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and hires according to the promise. Heirs. Heirs. What did I say? Hires. Um, heirs. So we see right away, we see a few key words that I think we can um, quickly go over here. Uh, first, we see the word children. Um, how are we children, right? Who who is ch- who is the children? Who is the child? Where do you like? Is it background? Does he talking about background? Is he talking about uh, a physical child? Is he talking about spiritual children? Um, and he also says children of God by faith, and not just by God, but of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So he mentions he mentions those topics there, and um, he answers. It's as if he's answering questions as he's like writing it right. He's also saying, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek. So he's saying that all of us are all in one, are all in Christ. And if you are Christ, um, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that's kind of like the little contextual kind of grand opening to chapter four. I I feel like um, that puts us in the picture of um, when we read further, uh, we can get what Paul is trying to actually say. Do you guys have anything to add to that? I was going to say, can we see, just pause for a moment and think about how amazing it is yeah. that we can be called Abraham's offspring without 
being physically tied to Abraham. Mm-hmm. That because we are in Christ, whether you are a Jew or a Greek or whatever nationality you are, whether you're a man or a woman, none of that matters because if you have faith in Christ Jesus, you are an heir of the promise given to Abraham that is Christ himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the keyword heir was mentioned. Uh, do you guys know? Well, I read it wrong to begin with, but <laughs> do you guys know what an heir is? Mm-hmm. Like an heir to a throne. If, like mm-hmm. you have a king and you are next in line. So if he. Next of kin? Next, yeah, next of kin. And if he steps down, you are next to the throne. You're the next successor. Yeah, you're the successor. And I think. And you inherit all that the king has. Mm. See, and that's, that's, that's a very important point, though, because. You don't necessarily have to be an heir to inherit certain wealth. Like you can just benefit by that. Like someone can put you in their will and okay, you just get the benefits of that. Being an heir means there's specific like family ties. It takes it one step further. Yeah. That and that point right there, the fact that he uses that word, I don't think it's an accident. He knew exactly what he was saying that it's not just that we benefit. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily just get the same rewards that the real heirs get. No, you are as if you were, like you said, as if you are part of that bloodline, as if you are adopted into the family. related to to God Himself, yeah. related to Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. That's what that's the level of like closeness we get to Christ. Yeah, and um, now that we kind of see that, we can start reading chapter four, uh, verses one through seven. Now we can kind of understand what Paul is really trying to say, um, and he says in verse one. Chapter four, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. I'm going to read. Yeah, I got the right thing. All right. Uh, Verse two, but this under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then the heir of God through Christ. Um, I do have my King James select today, as yeah. you guys have noticed. So. <laughs> Um, that's kind of what I was trying to see there first. Um, but I think as Austin said earlier, these like just reading this, it or like Mark said in the beginning, it puts again, it reminds you of who you are to Jesus and who is Jesus to you, right? So you see this kind of this mental picture in your head and talking about a child and talking about an heir and talking about the family and who your father is, you, Paul, I think Apostle Paul paints this picture of um, who we are. So let me step back. I'm going to take my role as context. <laughs> so Galatians, the book of Galatians, you had the Jewish people and those who were in Christ, those Gentiles, they had this conflict almost, right? So you had the Jews who became Christians and you had Gentiles who became Christians there was some rift going on because the Jews wanted to keep some of the parts of the Torah. And then there was some conflict between, and they're saying, you should be circumcised, you should follow these rituals. So there was this conflict there. So when I read this passage, Paul pretty much says, back in Abraham, there was, he promised 
that an heir was like a savior was going to come, right? He promised Abraham that um, an offspring, an offspring was going to come. Yeah. So the promise was there, and then God instituted a law, right? So people were following the law to keep them, to teach them. Pretty much, the law was there. How we're going to read um, in chapter three, how it was a it was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. So under the law, the Jewish people lived and they learned how sinful they are. Without the law, we would never realize how sinful we are and that we need a savior. So, so as it says in Galatians, it was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So what it says here in chapter four is that through the law, we are under the law and it revealed to us that we need a savior. And that's kind of where we jump in here in chapter four, where it says in the fullness of time, Christ was born. So we needed that law. Imagine a doctor comes to you, says, hey, you're sick. Or, or he just says, here's a cure. He doesn't tell you there, you have an issue, you have a problem. But if a doctor comes to you and say, hey, look, look at these marks on your skin. Look at these symptoms that you're having. You're actually sick. And if once you see that you're sick, you're like, what's the cure? How can I get better? That's kind of why I bring that up is that's kind of what the law was for that God revealed to us how much we need Christ by bringing the law. And that's kind of where we get into chapter four, where yeah. Christ is the solution. And and I think in verses one and two, um, he paints this picture that because, because now don't quote me on this, I don't know if this was Jewish tradition, Austin, you might know, but uh, when a child reaches a certain age, let's say it's uh, 11 or 12, right? He's taken by the father and his father now... Um, he's still, he's the heir. So he's got all of, he's got control coming his way, but not yet. So he's not ready yet, but he does have all of that his father owned, whatever the household, whatever his father owned is going to be uh, his, the, the child's, right? But not yet because he's not ready. And that's what it says here. It does not defer at all from a slave. So there is a point where... Um, even though it says that he is a master, so a child could be a master of all, he is still not deferring from a slave. Matter of fact, in verse two, it says, but is under guardians and stewards until time appointed by the father. So he is actually bossed around by uh, the guardians and stewards that may be working for the father or, or, or what, what, what might be. So, um, and that's kind of how he opens this topic up. And I think that was relatable to whoever, to the re, to the Galatians, to the reader, um, and relatable to us now too, because we can understand what Paul's trying to say. Mm-hmm. I'd like to point out too, that in verse three, going off of what you said, he said, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now there are differing views as to what Paul's referring to there. One of the most common is that Paul is referring to the religious activity, the outward religious activity of the law of Moses. So you were in bondage to these religious principles that were in and of themselves gifts of God to you, but they could never solve the ultimate problem. And that's why Christ came. So you you as a child are under these elementary principles of the world. You are following these things but you have not yet inherited that which you have desired to inherit, that which the Father has desired to send and would send in the fullness of time. So I think we have to, and I'll save this for just a moment when we get to the comments on law, we have to differentiate what law 
Paul is referring to here? Is he referring to the moral law of God, the ceremonial law of God, the civil law of God, law in general, the Constitution of the United States? Like what, what, it, what law is being referred to that Christ kept? And we can get to that in just a moment. But I wanted to point out first that the way that these children of God now would view this was back when we had these things, circumcision, back when we had these other rituals and feasts and other things, we were as children who have not yet inherited that which was to come. So Paul's making the point. You're, you're tempted to go back to those things. That's not what you should be doing because Christ is so much better. He is the source of freedom from those things. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And I think that's our main focus is looking at verse four, um, because speaking about the topic of Christmas, we see here that um, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So God sent forth his son, God. Now we have a picture right in our, in our, in our, in our brain. We can mentally picture this which is really hard in my opinion, but God sends forth his son born of a woman, which means a human birth. And if it's a human birth, meaning that Christ was fully man, and at the same time, he was God, um, which, which this is where the hard part comes in because you're, you can't imagine that, right? How does, how does the creator send forth his son to his creation to be his creation as well? So it's like, it's really kind of a little bit complicated. I think we can, uh, when we look into this, we can explain, but so. Can I ask a question before you keep yeah. going? Because you're going to go down on a tangent. <laughs> like always. <laughs> yes. Verse four starts with, but when the fullness of time had come, I don't know if any of you guys know, maybe you know, Austin, why did it take Christ so long to get here? Was, was sin not a problem from the moment humanity was created? What, what was the purpose of Christ coming thousands of years later as opposed to next week after Adam sinned? Like, technically, that's what was required. That's what Adam needed on the spot. He needed, he needed someone who can take that sin for him the same way we need that. That's been true mm -hmm. since, since Adam sinned, and it's going to be true till the day, till the last person dies on this earth and Christ comes back. We all need Jesus. Why now? Why now? Why did Christ come now? And not even just that, but... I think it's pretty widely known that from Malachi to basically the story of Christ coming to this earth is about 400 years. Yep. Again, why 400 years? You know, why is there this gap? Why is it so important that Jesus comes now and like this first starts, but when the fullness of time had come, what is the fullness of time? Why now? These are some, that's a great question. And I want to try to be careful not to go down a tangent because yeah. we could talk for hours and hours about Wait, why. And the fullness. You're allowed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alex is not allowed yeah. to. <laughs> Y'all hear my voice. Yeah. I think the most God glorifying thing to say is that when we talk about the fullness of time, this is God's plan. Timeline. So yeah, it's his timeline. It's his, it's his gospel. And so when Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, fullness of time relates to this is what God intended to do from before the foundation of the world. Jesus would come at this very moment, and the fullness of time took place. Why did all those things have to take place? That's in God's mind and in God's free desire to do exactly what he designed to do. What we do know is there are some practical reasons why this was a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, Rome had taken over. It was a huge empire. There was Pax Romana at the time, a Roman peace 
overall. Uh, the Greek Empire had overtaken prior to that, and so you have a Greek language, a universal language over throughout the empire that people would have been able to speak. There was transportation and roads being built, so the gospel could clearly travel through the known world at the time. Yeah. At this time, so God obviously knew and ordained that. So there are a number of reasons why Roman soldiers, yeah, uh, all of those things coming together. But just to say, the fullness of time means God had been planning this, mm-hmm. yeah, and this is what God designed in His world to do f- to redeem mankind at this very moment. And I don't think He hid He hid His plan um, details from us. He didn't. I don't think He hid it from Adam because guess what? Eve heard it. Eve heard the plan, right? Um, because he told her that um, chapter three, chapter two, crush his head. Yeah. So Christ was already mentioned and God's plan was mentioned right then when the sin happened. So um, what I was going to, to say to this is I think that- you mind if I push back on that a little bit? Yeah. I will say that uh, the plan of the gospel is clear in the Old Testament, but it's hidden in types and shadows. So Adam and Eve knew that there would be a savior that would come born of woman, but they didn't know what we know. Right. So yes, it's true that the gospel is all throughout the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. but it's hidden in types and shadows so much so that Satan did not know the plan of God and he knew the word of God because we're also told that if Satan had known and the demons had known that this was going to happen, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory for the plan would have not have taken place. Right. So we have, so I agree, I want to just be careful. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. I think what I was saying was like, we, we see it that we see it, that we get this full picture, but right. they didn't, they got, they got it. But I, what I was saying was it was mentioned already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to ask a question based on what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that um, Satan doesn't know God's plan, but he sees his word. So when the uh, mass genocide of all the toddlers was happening, you know, in Matthew and Luke and uh, with Herod. So that was actually Satan trying to kill Christ, knowing that Christ has already been born. Yeah, I, I would say he's grasping at straws at that point. Yeah, okay. I mean, think of. I'm just trying to put myself in that place to think. All right, God has sent His Son to become man. Let's kill Him. If we kill him or tempt him to sin, he can't accomplish the purpose for which he has been sent. So it just it just makes me wonder, like, how did he know that that was specifically Christ at that time? I mean, he's not all knowing, all powerful, all seeing like God is. I mean, I, we, we understand that he's got. I don't know if is it even right to say he's got like little agents, demons working for him everywhere, kind of yeah. his own little spy network type of deal. Is that is that the right understanding of that? Or I would no? be careful to say that. From Scripture, I don't know exactly okay. how Satan knew what he knew. We just know from Scripture that he knew. Okay. Uh, because he is he is about that word and about that way. And the reason I said that he knows the word is because he uses that in the temptation of Jesus to tempt uh, him. He mm-hmm. uses Scripture to say, oh, if you jump off of this building, angels will catch you, for the word says mm-hmm. they will not suffer in you, but they will not allow you to fall. Uh, so I would say Satan knows the word of God, but we're also told that the message of Christ as the suffering servant who would die for the sins of his people is hidden in types and shadows in such a way that Satan's not so sure why Christ is there, and that's why the crucifixion happens in many ways. It's, it happens because God determined that it would happen, and that would be the means of salvation for all who believe. 
but he uses these agents, as you would say, Satan and these evil men that are there. We, we read about them, Judas and uh, uh, Pilate and others that are a part of that story. God uses all of that together in his providence to bring about the death of his son. And, and yet we see Satan in Genesis 3, he bruises the heel, and in so doing, his head is crushed. Mm-hmm. Had he known that killing Christ would secure the salvation for all who believe, he would not have been about trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Is that does that kind of make sense? Where yeah, I was going, I with do want to bring. I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm yeah. just gonna bring in this weird hook because remember that miracle that Christ performed of casting out. I think it was Legion out of that one man, mm-hmm. and um, their response is, "What are you?" To do with us because they knew exactly who Christ is, Son of God. Are you here right. to, uh, what was it, to torment to, us before time or something yep. like that? So yep. It's like they knew their future, right? Right. Yeah. So and they knew who Christ was, yep. and this is not Satan. This is just demons, legion. Right. So that just makes me wonder how much more does Satan know than than what the demons knew at that time, then and there. And you know, it's just it's mind baffling. And I know you don't, probably don't have an answer. And do you think maybe it's, just, it's yeah. maybe Satan? knows and always knew the i think maybe even i don't i don't want to say the fullness of the plan but i think in a way he he knew who christ was but he understood that like you said it's part of god's plan and i think what if he like knew that there's nothing i can really do to stop that part but what i can do is try to bring as many people down as i can so it wasn't necessarily attacking christ himself it was attacking the ones around him it was trying to bring down those around him and i mean that's we see the same thing happening now. I don't think, I don't think Christ tries to, or I don't think the devil. I gotta say this correctly. Like I don't think he's necessarily trying to fight against Christ anymore. It's more he's just trying to help us to see our own personal pride and our personal egos and comforts and things like that. Like I, I don't know, maybe I, I'm, but that's, in a way, I'm just that thinking. Is, I'd that, have to agree. I think I agree with Austin because. He, I don't think he knows the exact details of the plan. He knows something is coming. That's kind of what happened when uh, the wise men came to Herod, and then he brought all the people together. Where is the Savior supposed to be born? And they had bits and pieces, and they said, in the town of Bethlehem. So that caused him to go out and kill all the, uh, the up to two years old. So I don't think Satan knows. He, doesn't, he probably doesn't even know how the world is going to end, but he knows there's going to be events, and he's trying to... Um, stop God. That's why we look at the lineage of Christ all the way back to David and uh, Adam. You see how many times Satan has attempted to um, either cut off the cut off, first, yeah the, the bloodline was with Cain and Abel. Yeah, he tried time. to cut off the bloodline because he knew Christ was going to come through the line of David. And there's so many attempts to subvert the plan of God, but he he ultimately he still completes it. So I kind of I, I kind of lean toward Austin's point of view that Satan does not know all the plan. He knows there is a plan and he tries everything in his to, in his power to stop God's plan from happening. And he didn't know what Christ was going to do, but when it happened, he knew he was defeated. After Christ died, he thought he won. But after he re- he came from the dead, he's that's when he was defeated forever. Yeah. And I think that kind of does a good answer to Mark's original question, uh, what the fullness of time is, why it happened when it happened. Again, um, it's part of God's master plan. And it's part of prophecy. If we read in yeah, Daniel. I was yeah. going to add that, that there's yeah. certain prophecies that, you know, say 
about his death hanging from a tree. Like if he, if Christ were to come today, I don't think they would have crucified him today like they did back then ago. That was strictly a Roman thing to do. It wasn't mm-hmm. a Jewish thing to do. Um, and then I don't know how technology would even play into that today. Like if you if Christ were to come today, like we have this thing called technology and mass media that they didn't have back then. How would it affect? You know, how would God's plan look? You know, his whole, Christ's whole media thing. Like how would it? The impact of it would be like it would be probably different. I would assume. Well. And I mean, how different? I don't know, but it'd be different. I think this kind of goes back to something you said at the very beginning, Alex. Actually, and you're like, Christ had many purposes for why he came. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say I disagree because obviously he did have a lot of things that he did before he came or when he came, and there was a lot that happened, and you know, planting the church and things like that, having his disciples, spreading that. But ultimately, he came for one purpose, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> He even quotes it in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. He says, "I came to save the lost." Yeah, and and it's that purpose though is the part that we're never really going to be able to answer. I know I asked a question, but there really isn't an answer. And like you kept kind of like going around it, Austin, where it's like, <laughs> "Well, it's just God's plan." And I know we say that a lot, and that sounds like one of those Christian excuses, I guess. If you're if you're listening to this and you're not that sure of your faith, it sounds like an excuse. Like I want an answer. Why are you telling me? Oh, it's just part of the plan, but it really is. It, it's just, it's a part of God being God and having full control. And for us, it's just a matter of, of rejoicing. Like we do on Christmas, the fact that God decided to bring Christ to this earth, regardless of the time it was, regardless of what the circumstances were, our, as a believer, your job is just to look at it and be, be speechless at the fact that it even happened to begin with. Both. Yeah, the the whole concept of fullness of time means that everything was in place for something to happen, yes. mm-hmm. right? At the perfect time, like it, it's not going to be any better because like God was controlled everything so much that everything was spick and span to the perfect uh, thing. People being born, governors in power, certain governors in power, you know, authorities, wars Languages. or peace or whatever, like you were saying, mm-hmm. every the prophecies, everything is in its place for this to finally happen. And, and yet... At the birth of Christ, who knows how many children are dying? So you're like, on one hand, it's the perfect time. On the other hand, if you really look at the story, and like Jonathan was preaching about this this Sunday, that was a horrible time. Mm. Like, this is like for a human to look at that, you think, no, this is not the right time. Like, find a better place, find a better time to do this. This is clearly not a good situation to bring a child into this world. And yet, it's one of those things that we don't see the full picture. We don't know why God is doing what he's doing, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And he yeah. knew that ultimately this would fulfill things in a way that we could never imagine because to our brains, what we think is good or what we think is like the right time or, or perfect time is, is could be very far off from what God's God really timeline sees. timeline is not our time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned the, the word reason. Um, in verse five, it talks about that. It says that born under law to redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I think when we think of reason, um, why Christ was born, I think that could be one thing we could focus on and talk about. You skipped four though. We didn't even get to the other half of four. Oh yeah, we did. We no, talked we about the fullness of time. We talked about God sent forth his son born Did of a woman. about the law part. Yeah, Almost the law the part is we the can important talk part. about for another <laughs> hour. There's so much more to say. Mm. Um, I did want to, like, if I, I don't want to, I, I want to stay on four because it's so deep. 
you mentioned the 400 years. I wanted to, I actually was watching something about Chosen, and there was one actor that, that plays Thaddeus. He brought this up about this context of the 400 years of silence. And I kind of always kind of just glossed over it, but this time I kind of thought about it. Like, this is amazing. Like, back in Malachi, that's probably the last time that God said that a Savior's coming. And 400 years, God was silent. God did not speak to, to you know, any prophets to, to Israel at all. And I was like, 400 years. And I, if, I bring, if we go 400 years from today, that was back in the 1600s. In the 1600s, that's when the King James Bible was just written. What you're reading, Alex. <laughs> King James. On a on an iPad though. So yeah. are you old yeah. school or are you no, new school? I, Figure I transferred it, out. it to N- NKJV. And <laughs> four hundred years is when the Puritans stepped foot in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Like, just think about how long that is. How many generations? How many generations that was? Mm-hmm. And God never spoke in that time. And I can imagine where the people, a lot of people, left their faith. Like a lot of people weren't really, um, you know on fire for God at that time because like 400 years God never spoke to us. This isn't relevant anymore. It would explain why they were so attached to the law though. Those who did yeah. remain faithful because yeah. the prophets who came around all, all these people that that God chose out of the Israelites, they kind of came and and corrected the the Jews every now and then, mm-hmm. you know. They would come and kind of reassure them what their real what the real faith is and what really matters. But then you go 400 years without any sort of correction. And it's like, the only thing you know is the law, because that's the only thing we've had for 400 years. Mm-hmm. It explains why there is such a like, again, like we're reading about Galatians. It's Paul, a lot of his letters are purely just arguing, guys, stop focusing on the law. It's beyond that, you know, stop hating the Gentiles. It doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. So much of the New Testament is fighting this traditional mindset that the Jews had makes sense when that's all you've had for 400 years. Yeah. And explains why nobody was really waiting for Christ, why he was born in a manger, right? And like why so many people didn't believe, they weren't waiting, they didn't see where what God was doing. I know it was hidden shadows and it was hard to tell, but that's kind of the, the context where God was born. Jesus was born at this time, a perfect time. And how you mentioned Rome was in place, um, Jerusalem was occupied by Rome, all those events were perfect for that time to come where Jesus comes into the world. I want to push into the born under the law part. I know Alex, or Alex, Austin, you were saying <laughs> that you wanted to get into yeah. the law portion of this. And I think that is important because the next verse kind of continues going on the whole law side of things. We are reminded every single Christmas, you know, Christ is the son of God, but he's also the son of a woman, a virgin. That's something we're reminded of all the time, every Christmas. I like this third edition, this born under the law. Yeah. That's to me, that's a whole other step of, of how how humbled Christ was. I want to read a, a quick note from Ligonier.com about this idea. It says, But what does it mean to be under the law? In effect, it means to be obligated to keep the law perfectly in order to enjoy a right standing before God. By being born under the law, our Savior consented to fulfill its demands so that we can be released from its death sentence against those who do not obey it perfectly. As one theologian commented, Christ chose to become liable to keep the law 
that exemption from it might be obtained for us. I think that portrays it so perfectly because we're talking about the law not as something we do in order to just do something nice. We're talking about something we are attempting to do in order to have a right standing before God. And so God sends his son, Jesus, to be born under the law. So he submits himself to the law and obeys it perfectly. If Jesus doesn't obey the law perfectly, we don't have salvation because his active obedience is imputed to the account of everyone who trusts him by faith. So that's what it means. He's born under the law. He's subjected to it that he might redeem or buy us back from the need for the law as a means of a right standing before God. And what do you, what do you guys want to comment on that? Yeah, I think even uh, in chapter 3, in verse 13, we didn't read that, but um, he, Paul does mention Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And um, I didn't read that whole verse into fruition. It also says... Um, for it is written, cursed is everyone that is hangeth on the tree. So uh, the law was something that you didn't have liberty from. Like you were, you wanted to be free from it, but you couldn't, right? You, the, especially, especially Jewish people, um, they had the, the law was there, and it says that they were kind of in its bondage. So when you're in bondage, that means you are closed in, you are locked in, you can't go, you're not free. You're not free, right? So uh, something is holding you back. And what, what we look for is what one thing that Christ did, I think, is he brought that liberation. He brought that freedom from the law. Well, I think a, maybe a more, correct me if I'm wrong on this, a more clearer way to put it on that bondage part is that um, people thought at that point, like you were saying, their correct way to stand, their, um, how would you say, their standing before Christ or before God, their good standing before God right, yeah. was determined by how well they fulfilled the law. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that is the only, that is how you get to heaven is by fulfilling the law. That is your salvation. That is your salvation. Yeah. And so here Paul is explaining that technically speaking, no matter how hard you try, you could never achieve salvation through the law because you always break it. Mm -hmm. You always come short every way, shape or form pretty much every single day. And so the and that's where the bondage kind of comes in play, where you just you just can't you you just can't to the fullest extent to your most energy or abilities you just can't fully satisfy God because you are human and you're imperfect and the law is just it's just setting a standard for you to achieve that you will never achieve. Yeah, you need redemption. So Christ comes in, and then He fulfills that law for us, so that now by faith in Christ we are made righteous. Mm -hmm by his blood and and, uh, and death and resurrection, right? That is what makes us righteous now, not the fulfillment mm -hmm. of the law. And not yeah. that doesn't go to say that, like Paul says, that the law is null, that we no longer have to live by the law. No, we still do because that is how we portray our love for Christ. But ultimately, our salvation comes by faith in Christ. And it always has, even in the Old Testament. Their, their salvation came by faith in the hope of a Messiah, right? That would mm -hmm. die for their sins. Not so much in fulfilling the law. That's why that's that's how right uh, why Abraham was counted righteous, right? Because he was given that promise, and he believed God that by that promise there will be salvation in his offspring for mankind. This is way before the law, and Paul may, argues that point many times over. And so it's important for us to understand where that bondage kind of comes in play is that we can never fulfill the law because we are imperfect, and Christ fulfilled it for us, so that now we are made righteous through the blood 
and death of Jesus Christ. And Amen. the law was always temporary. That in God's plan, the law was only like like we read in verse chapter three, uh, twenty four. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So exactly kind of what what I was saying earlier in the podcast that God had a plan, and in that plan He brought the law, and the law was temporary to lead us to to a Savior, to a Christ, and Christ came, fulfilled the law, and we're no longer in bondage to the law. When you say the law is temporary, are you referring to the law as Mosaic, covenant? Yeah, like Mosaic, the covenant, okay, yeah. the, the Old Testament, Yeah, their covenants and their law, and then Christ came and fulfilled that, and we are living by faith and yeah. not by the law, the letter of the law. Right. And and it's so this is this is a great conversation. I love talking about the law and gospel distinction because I've been in context and even in some of my own beliefs that I held in the past, I didn't always make a clear distinction between law and gospel and why the gospel's good news versus why the law once you've received the gospel is again good news. That's why David could say, "Oh Lord, how I love thy law." It's because David understood that he could not fulfill it perfectly but that God would send one to fulfill it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so he says, blessed are those to whom you do not impugn sin or iniquity. Uh, he's, he's looking forward to the fact that God will send someone who will obey perfectly in my place so that I can obey freely. Uh, and I think Paul Washer gave this example one time uh, about a physics class, and you may have heard this example before. He said that you can tell someone who has an understanding of the gospel by the way this illustration works. He said, imagine if the professor at the very beginning of the course said, the only way to pass this course is to get a 100% on the final exam. But I have some bad news. No one has ever gotten anywhere close to getting 100% on the final exam. But I have some good news. I will be taking this exam for you, and I have received a 100%. He said, you can tell the difference in whether someone loves the subject by what happens next. Because if they receive a 100%, there will be some people in that classroom who, who take the physics book and throw it to the ground and say, yes, I never have to study physics ever again. They'll walk out of the class. I got 100. But then there will be others who say, you mean I get to study physics without any threat of failing? Yeah, no worry. Yeah, and, and that's what Jesus does for us mm -hmm. in that he fulfills the law perfectly so that now we can sit here as a group of guys and say, you mean we get to obey God without the possibility of failing before that righteous standing that we've been freely given? And how glorious it is to be able to, to love God with our heart, soul, and mind incompletely now, but resting in Christ perfectly fulfilling that so that we can grow in holiness because of what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and then we, we kind of see from there that um, there's like, I don't want to say it's the icing on the cake, but it's to continue that. It also says that we might receive the adoption as sons. So ultimately, through Christ, we are taken into God's family. So good. So good, yeah. And it's like, even though like we're not under bondage of the law anymore, right? And we get to become the heirs to the kingdom. We get to become, we get adopted as sons. And it says, verse six continues by saying, and because you are sons, 
God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So it, we, have, we have the Holy Spirit, and now we can have a relationship with God like he is our, as he is our father, mm. right? And um, you, could, you probably, Austin, you know more about, more about this, but the translations to, to Abba, Father, is like you can call him Daddy, right? You can call him your father. You can have that relationship with him. You can depend on him. Um, why? Because verse seven, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are now a son. And if a son, then a heir of God through Christ. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's when you think about Christmas, when you think about Christ being born, if you gave this as your answer, mm -hmm. that would be mind blowing to somebody who has no idea, who only knows Santa Claus, who only knows Krampus, right? <laughs> Man, we have to talk about the fact that what you said at the very beginning, tying chapter three into this, where if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If we are in Christ, then we are heirs of God. Mm-hmm. We have rightful claim to everything that Jesus has claimed to because we are in Christ. And yet we have no, like nothing in and of ourselves that makes us worthy to be in that position of being an heir of God through Christ, but we are. Yeah. Because he's adopted us into his, into his family, Jesus as our older brother, if you will, God as our father, and we are in God's family. We are children of God, rightful heirs to the kingdom of heaven and wonderful things that we can't even imagine are awaiting us all because of God's plan and the fullness of time to send his son to be born under the law, born of woman, to redeem us from the law and to make us his children. It's mind blowing because it kind of goes back to our podcast that's going to come out <laughs> next year. <laughs> next year. <laughs> next, next year. Yeah. In uh, Ephesians, how God lifted us up from, we were at the bottom. What should have happened at the Garden of Eden, first time Adam and Eve sinned, mm -hmm. they should have died that moment. But God's love, he's so patient that he has been waiting for so many years. How many thousands of years? So every time that I, when I was born, first time I sinned, I should have been, I should have been killed, right? But God has mercy. And he set up a plan that he himself was going to be born and he was going to die for my sins. He was going to rise on the third day and justify me and, the and thing bring is, me into his family mm -hmm. where I'm undeserving. I'm a rebel. Mm -hmm. And he takes me in and sits me at his table and says, you are my son and you will reign with me forever. And, and to take it another step further is that it's not just that that happened when Adam and Eve sinned. It says that before the foundations of the earth were laid, this was planned. We read about it in the beginning of Ephesians. Yeah. This was predestined long before sin was even here. God loving us is as natural as, as anything. That's just like, it is a fact and he does love us and it's manifested through his son coming to this earth and dying for us because we're all so excited reading these verses because praise the Lord, we are we have all repented and we have all accepted Christ as our, as our Savior. But just like for the people of this time, they were living in in hopelessness. Mm. And the truth of the matter is, I know that there's a lot of people who are also living 
in that same hopelessness. They're looking at this life and and it's pur- there's no purpose to it. They have no meaning. There is struggle all around. There is sin all around. It's truly hard to be a good person in this day and era. And that hope that Christmas brings, it's not just some sort of good vibe that this world likes to present Christmas as. It's not just a couple great songs and some warm, fuzzy feelings. Christmas is true hope Mm -hmm. in the birth of Christ. And that's something that whoever you are listening to to this, regardless of what kind of circumstances you're going through, if you accept Christ, if you accept that baby in the manger as your savior, that hope is yours. You are an heir to God through Christ. And you have that reassurance that no matter how dark this life gets, I'm, I'm a son of God. Yeah. I have an eternity to live with a father who loves me and will provide for me and care for me in ways that this world will never bring me any sort of joy. And that sounds scandalous to say, doesn't it? Yeah. But yet it's so true. That is mm-hmm. gospel reality. Amen. <laughs> I think we're going to stop it there because uh, I think I think scripture itself wrapped it up so perfectly and 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 showed us the true picture. I think Apostle Paul here, the way he worded it um, through the Holy Spirit is just makes so much sense. It's so perfect. And it's just one additional thing that if you are used to Christmas just being a day of something that's repetitive to you, just like we began in the podcast, something that you're wondering, what is there that I could hear? Like, is there really anything that I could hear that will that will not only blow my mind, but change me inside? And I think hearing hearing and understanding um, what Apostle Paul wrote here and, and who Christ is and how he redeems us and we are able to receive an adoption and we are heirs um, of God through Christ. If you bundle that up and you open that up, I encourage you that if, if, if you... If, if this was opened up to you today and it and it made you think about your life, that you need to take this message, you need to take Galatians 4 and open it up to somebody that is even close to you, um, open it up to your parents, open it up to your friends, open it up to anybody, um, whether Christian or not Christian, because it is so, it is so important and it is so important to think about and understand. Because sometimes we can read this quickly, right? Oh, I want to read Galatians and I'm going to fly through this. Mm. But focus on what it says. Focus on who Christ is. What does Christmas really mean to you? And I think we've covered it so well today. Um, And we'll finish off with a prayer. Again, Lord, thank you so much for giving us these wonderful words and helping us understand, helping us understand why you came to this earth, why you were born, and helping us understand that Um, there is a fullness of time. There is a master plan that you have. And even though we might not understand it, why now? Why then? How come this happened? How come that happened, Lord? We as humans have all these questions, but you made everything happen perfectly as it was meant to be. And we're able to see that. And even though we're able to see the fullness, the, the fullness picture that others that lived way before us might have not seen the fullness of the picture, yet even from Adam to the last person that will be alive here, Lord, your plan affects all of us. And your birth here on this world affected all of us. And we are able to have salvation and we're able to be heir of God through Christ. Thank you so much for that. And help us spread this message to others and not only spread the positive Christmas joy, but also who you are and how how joyful and how undeserving we are 
and how much you have given to us. Thank you so much for your word. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to speak to your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.